It's time for Ask Patty, Automotive Advice for Women, with Jody DeVere, founder of AskPatty.com. Now here's Jody DeVere and her guest. Welcome, everyone, to the May 2013 Ask Patty, Automotive Advice for Women radio show. Today is a very, very special show, as this month of May, we are celebrating uh, World MS Day and moms like myself who have children who unfortunately have been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis or MS. Today I have two really awesome guests, two women who are leaders in this field, and we're going to share some facts, resources, and have a a really good discussion about um, not only, not so much the disease, but what we can do about it. I want to welcome my two guests, Marnie Dechter, who is the Vice President of Communications for the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, Southern California, Nevada Chapters. Marnie is the Vice President of Communications for this chapters, and she's dedicated to increasing the awareness of this unpredictable disease and the National MS Society. In her role, she supports fundraising programs and services through marketing, branding, and public relations efforts. Marnie has been with the MS Society for 15 years. My other guest is Dr. Nancy Sycott, who is the director of multiple sclerosis programs and the director of neurology residency training uh, at Cedar sinai Hospital here in Los Angeles. She is, her main research focus is the mechanisms underlying the progression of MS. She is the principal investigator on numerous MS clinical trials, and her research has been published in over 37 peer-reviewed journals, including Neuromage and Neurology. In addition, she has written 36 abstracts and is an ad hoc reviewer for numerous journals, including the Archives of Neurology and Brain. She is the recipient of many honors and awards and is named three times as the, one of the best doctors in America, a prolific speaker. She has lectured and presented at national and international conferences and seminars and is a board certified by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology and is a, a member of many other medical societies. Welcome to you both, and thank you for joining me this month. Thank Thanks you, Jody, for having us. It's just so awesome to have women who are in such leadership positions, uh, uh, really along the the front lines of battle with MS. And so my first question is to you, um, Dr. Sycott, or Nancy. Let's call you Nancy. Can Can you share about your career path and how you became the director of MS program and, and the director of neurology residency at Senior Sinai. It's just, you know, I have a lot of respect for women who really break through glass ceilings. And as a doctor, you, you definitely, I'm sure, had some challenges. So can you can you share about that? Uh, well, I think um, the field of medicine has, is actually now almost uh, dominated by women if you look at medical school training and so forth. Um, and I think that's one of the exciting things, and, and I think it's very instructive. When women start to enter fields, uh, they start to look at things differently and ask questions maybe um, a little differently, and, and I think that's led to advances in uh, in approaches and, and treatments. Um, 
So I think, you know, in, inclusion is very, very important and uh, and actually enriches uh, all of our experiences. But um, in terms of uh, my, my career path, I've always been very interested in brain and behavior, and that carried me through um, to college where I really thought about doing a Ph.D., but really loved interacting with research patients. I was working on some studies, and so that, that led me to medical school. And, of course, um, it was either going to be psychiatry or neurology, and I, I was very interested in the brain, and so ended up in neurology. And I came to MS um, a little bit differently. I, I was doing a fellowship in neuroimaging, so I'm very interested in using imaging technologies to understand you know, brain function and brain uh, structure and uh, became fascinated by multiple sclerosis because it is a, a disease uh, where imaging plays a very important role in diagnosis and prognosis and um, hopefully in the future for some of our exciting um, therapies that we might be using um, to promote remyelination, for example. Um, so I uh, ended up switching uh, from imaging quickly over into the MS world, and it's been very rewarding because, in part, you develop long-term relationships with your patients, um, and uh, you really you really travel the road with patients in this disease. It's so it's a lifelong disease, and it's uh, it's been a privilege and um, really uh, rewarding uh, to work with lots of women, obviously, who have MS and. Um, so it turned out to be uh, just a, a great uh, career path for me personally. And then the, the, the training part, I think, is really important, um, trying to um, train the next generation of neurologists and, um, and hopefully uh, MS uh, specialists uh, for the future. And um, it is kind of fun to be the, the director of a brand, especially a brand-new program, a residency program at Cedars, so I was able to um, sort of have my stamp on it. And um, my chairman was giving me a little bit of a hard time because we have nine residences now matched our, our full uh, three years uh, of classes. We have three per year. And six of the uh, residents who residents will be training with us are women and three of them are men. So, so That's we're, awesome. We're, we're building the female, uh, the female workforce. So, um, so, so thanks, Jen. That's, uh, that, that's my path. That's awesome. Yeah, my my sister, right? I have four sisters. The one right above me is actually a PhD nurse, and she's a, a nursing professor. We call her Equesta College. And like you, uh, of course, many there are more and more men becoming nurses actually, but she's been a nurse for over 30, 35 years now, and just really enjoys the teaching aspect of her uh, role. And ha- I have two sisters that are nurses actually. And uh, that goes a long way when you have two children with, with MS, like I do. I, I picked up a lot of uh, knowledge and skill. And when I don't know, I call Linda my Ph.D. sister nurse. <laughs> so, Jody, so, I just want to uh, let you know that I have three daughters, uh, so also a very female-dominated house. And I, I want to share an anecdote about the whole um, way that our perception of um, what women do or don't do has has changed. My youngest daughter came home from school one day when she was seven or eight, came running upstairs. Um, I had her while I was a medical student, so she was, with, you know, growing up while I was in training. And she said, Mom, Mom, guess what? Men can be doctors too. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> it's a great story. Yeah, oh, yeah it's a generation. great story. And, you know, it's um, interesting. And I'll, I'll tell you an automotive fact that will crack you up. 
for the first time in history in 2012, women have more driver's license than men do. And actually by 60% more vehicles than, you know, 60% of all vehicles sold. And so women definitely are driving the economy for sure. And in professions that have such an impact on human life, like yours and Marnie's, um, I, I think it's just absolutely wonderful that you're really um, sort of a, a, a person who has broken through a lot of barriers and is, is leading the charge with all these residents that you're working with that are women. Awesome. Thank you. So, so um, Marnie... Very nice to have you on this show. I would also like to understand how in the how in the heck did you become the vice president of communications at the National MS Society Southern California Nevada chapter? It just working for a nonprofit has its own set of challenges, but you know, I'm curious what you know, what was fueling your passions to bring you to this point in your career? To be perfectly honest, I kind of stumbled upon the National MS Society. I um, had taught first grade for a year and realized it was not going, the, going to be the career I thought it was going to be. Um, and I was looking for something that still made me feel good at the end of the day, though. And I was looking at nonprofits, and um, I came upon the MS Society, and they hired me on the spot at my interview, and I said, great. Um, I knew uh, one person peripherally with the disease. Um, it was a friend of my mother's who we didn't see very often. I didn't know very much about MS, um, but it seemed like a good organization from everything that I could see and read. Um, now, 15 years later, I can say that I have lots of friends with MS. I've just met so many wonderful people through my work here, um, whether it be that I meet them at the walks every year or I get to talk with people on the phone. Um, and what's really kept me here, I think, is also just seeing the incredible progress um, that's been made in the field of MS. And when I first started 15 years ago, there were just a few treatments available, and now there's 10 treatments available. And I see what's on the horizon and um, how exciting that is and the hope that it gives to the MS community. And and really, I think that's a lot of what drives me forward is, is seeing how we're able to help people with MS through programs and services and how um, doctors and researchers like Nancy and, and so many out there are just fueling um, the research progress and, and how exciting that really is. And that's, that's what yeah. got me here. I, you know, I agree because my son who has MS was diagnosed um, more than 10 years ago. And at that time, there was very few options. And unfortunately, his d- disease has progressed to the point he, he requires 24 and 7 care now. Now, my daughter is a year and a half into her diagnosis. and it's And I was talking to my mother earlier and I said, you know, but it's more hopeful now because there's so many new treatments that are having better results that are that are available, right? And they know so much more now than they did uh, 10 or 11 years ago even. And this is one of the reasons why I support the MS Society um, to fund research. That's what we're doing this month uh, with this um, initiative that we're working on and um but also personally the ms society here locally has actually assisted my family in the early years uh when my son was first diagnosed and i'm so appreciative of not only the dollars that are spent on research but some of the services that are available through the ms society which you can share about a little later and but i have a a question for both of you um i know that two-thirds of people diagnosed are women, which I just think is really 
kind of strange. But I have a son and daughter who both have MS. And since this initiative, and I sort of became transparent about what's going on, several other people have shared their stories that they have other siblings, you know, two siblings or a mother and a sibling who have MS. And so how common is it for members of the same family to have MS? And is it genetic or can you just share a little bit about what is MS and what causes it? And and Nancy, um, I'll ask you to go first. Okay, thanks, Jody. So I'm uh, sorry to hear about uh, your son and, and your daughter's uh, diagnosis. I'm sure it's a very challenging um, struggle for you, um, but I think that you're demonstrating one of the most important things about this disease, and that is um, gaining knowledge. And uh, there's a lot of uncertainty and fear associated with the diagnosis, but um, by having, uh, by educating yourself and becoming more informed, I think, and reaching out for support, because there's lots of support there, makes it a much easier journey. So um, I salute you um, in that regard. In terms of um, what we know about MS, it's, a, it's an autoimmune disease, and that means that the body's own immune system um, somehow becomes uh, confused and starts to attack uh, the nervous system. So it's really the intersection of, the, of two major organ systems uh, in the body, which makes it very complex um, and challenging in, in many ways. But um, somehow the immune system becomes um, activated and and attacks myelin, which is the coating around nerve cells. It's really like the insulation on the on the wire. And so by the effect of that is that nerve transmission is compromised. And, and one way of thinking about it is sort of like short-circuiting it. And um, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Certain conditions like fatigue or heat or fever can make uh, symptoms worse because the conduction uh, becomes even more uh, impaired. In terms of what causes MS, that um, is also a complicated uh, question. And certainly, as you suggested and other people um, have experienced, there seems to be some genetic component and there seems to be some uh, way that this disease runs in families. And so one of the questions I always ask a new patient um, is, is there a family history of any autoimmune diseases? And almost always, uh, I'd say more than 30 to 40 percent of the time, you'll you'll find that there's someone else in the family who may not have MS, but might have some other autoimmune disease like like lupus or Graves' disease or or even uh, uh, type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune disease. So clearly, there's something about the immune system that makes it more prone to uh, these autoimmune diseases, and in particular, women. Uh, are much more likely to have in all kinds of autoimmune diseases. Uh, any autoimmune disease you look at except ankylosing spondylitis is more commonly found um, in women. The extreme is uh, lupus, where the ratio is nine women to one man. One man. In, uh, in MS, it's about, as you said, two to three uh, women for every man that's diagnosed. And the reason for that um, is also not well understood, but some research that's taken place here at UCLA, uh, well, at UCLA where, I, where I started my training and I'm still affiliated with, uh, Rhonda Vosco has done a lot of work on looking at hormonal effects um, on the immune system. And not surprisingly, it turns out that hormones can impact um, immune function. And uh, there's probably something about uh, hormones or, or even sex chromosomes that uh, make women more prone to autoimmune diseases. In terms of what causes MS uh, per se, 
um, that is probably going to turn out to be a complex combination of things, including um, now a lot of emphasis on environmental factors, like the, there's a whole vitamin D story um, and changes that happen um, in relation to sun exposure. So it may be that, um, and we do know that people who grew up in um, what we call temperate regions where there's less sunshine, uh, we've known that for a long time, are more uh, susceptible to developing MS. And part of that may be the vitamin D may play into that. So in places like Canada or Scotland or uh, the Netherlands where there's not very much um, sun, incidence is high and vitamin D levels tend to be low. So, um, it, so there's clearly environmental factors. There may be certain infectious exposures, um, and, and it may be that it's infectious exposures at certain times of development that make, um, make you prone to develop the disease. One, one is um, Epstein-Barr virus, which causes mono. Um, that may play a role. Um, and then, as, as you talked about uh, genes, um, there is a genetic component to MS, but it's certainly not the way some other diseases that are completely genetic. So if you have a family member that has MS, your risk does increase. Um, but, for example, in a, in a family, uh, if you have a parent that has MS, your risk goes from being 0.1% to 1%. So you still have that. So it increases by a factor of 10, but you still have a 99% chance of not developing MS. Um, so I think... Um, that clearly there are multiple areas of uh, work that need to be done, and, and the genetic uh, side is just really in the last few years and work that the MS Society has funded. Uh, people have started uh, working on that. But I would suggest for listeners who have uh, multiple family members or multiplex families, um, that could be very helpful in, in, uh, in, in, in promoting this research and, and giving us new insights. Uh, these families may be very informative, so um, getting involved in, in projects um, could be helpful in, in providing more understanding of that. So, so I think that's what I have to say about that. I'd be interested to hear um, Marnie's input as well. Oh, yeah, I, th I, I think that was an excellent – oh, I'm sorry, Jody. I was just yeah, going to say ahead. I think that was an excellent uh, overview of, of the disease and, and what we know about um, genetics and, and some of the – demographics of people who get MS um, and the prevalence. Uh, the one thing I always th thought was interesting was the reason they know that MS is not directly inherited is because with identical twins who have the exact same genetic makeup, one identical twin may have MS but another may not. So that's why they know it's not inherited, but genetics are definitely a, a factor because you have families like yours, Jody's, that um, have two family members with MS. And I know you heard from another friend recently who pointed out that she and her sister both have MS. So um, there's something with genetics, and then there's, there's a trigger that might be turning on those genetics. So as Nancy mentioned, is it a lack of vitamin D and, and sunlight? Is it, is it a viral trigger like the uh, virus that turns on mono? Um, researchers are really looking at both ends both for the cause and for the cure. Um, and by working from both ends, hopefully they're going to find those answers. Yeah, the, in fact, my daughter did have mono. as a, and She was very young, eight, which is quite young to have it. She had a mild case, and I often wonder about that and if my son also was exposed, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, but honestly, as a mother dealing with it, it doesn't matter how they got it or why or if it's genetic, they have it. And so, you know, one of the things um, 
that I would like you to share is, okay, so we have an understanding that's a very complex disease and they're still trying to find out exactly why. But w- when you're diagnosed, you really focus more on what can I do about it. And so uh, for the women listeners out there and just in general, um, and Marnie, why don't you stop, start because honestly, the MS Society has so many resources. What tips can you share uh, for the newly diagnosed or or those who are dealing with MS um, to minimize flare-ups and, you know, to try and stay symptom-free or things that they can reach out to the MS uh, Society for support and information. And I do agree, Nancy, that information makes you feel less scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I would say it's, it's um, there's two big things. One is to really connect with a, a good doctor who understands MS and can um, help you through your treatment options. Um, we know that people who start treatments um, as soon as they're diagnosed have a better um, disease course because the treatments that are available have been shown to slow the course of the disease and shorten the time of um, flare-ups. Um, so it's very important for people to um, find a doctor uh, who they trust and who can um, understand MS and, and work with them to and a team of professionals to um, really map out a, a treatment plan for them. Um, and if someone is looking for a doctor, the National MS Society is a great place to start But we, because one of our number one services is information and, and referral. So um, if it's really, where do I even find that doctor? Really the first stop is 1-800-FIGHT-MS because that will connect you to the chapter closest to you and they will be able to provide you local programs and services and resources um, whether you're newly diagnosed or you've been living with MS for a long time and you're facing new challenges and um, just need some help and advice. So the National MS Society, whether you call or get on our website at nationalmssociety.org, is a great place to start. And then it's really keeping yourself healthy by continuing on. So, um, you know, they used to say, diagnose and adios. Um, There was nothing that that you could do. Uh, But now there are treatments available. You know, they've shown, there's a lot of studies that have shown that exercise is really important for keeping um, the body active. Um, a healthy diet, just like any other person would eat, is is recommended. And, and just um, surrounding yourself with a support system. So whether you find that support from the National Med Society, friends and family, or doctor, building that network of support is really important for women and men diagnosed with MS. And Nancy, I'll let you speak to the, the health side of it, of, of connecting with a healthcare professional and, and what the first thing to do is as far as... Um, the the doctor side of it. <laughs> well, thanks, Marnie. I think you gave an, an excellent uh, introduction because I think um, the key is um, starting with a healthcare professional that you can work with. And um, what I always tell patients, um, you know, it's usually the, the MS specialist is interacting with a patient at a time when they've been going through perhaps lots of tests, they've had lots of unexplained symptoms, um, it's very, very stressful, and um, just recognizing that um, getting the diagnosis sometimes is less stressful than the time uh, leading up to it. So I think getting the right diagnosis, obviously, is is the key, and, and so finding um, someone that you can work with um, and making sure that you... Um, that you're that you're on the right track, that you have the the diagnosis, um, and then really what I tell patients is that this is think about it like a marathon rather than a sprint. And I think in the initial stages, um, 
people are some, sometimes overwhelmed by the amount of information about the decisions they have to make, choices for medications and so on. And really the key is to this disease, I think, is managing it for the long term, just like any other kind of chronic illness. And so you have to really set yourself up for recognizing that you're going to have ups and downs and um, that you're going to need to build a team to work with and and that really um, you're going to see benefits when you're able to be consistent with your treatments and consistent with your um, paying attention to your health. And so I usually start certainly disease-modifying therapies, you know, the medications that we have available now, um, offer um, many, many choices, and that's excellent because some people respond well to one but not to another. Some side effects are not uh, tolerable in some people, whereas other people don't have any problem with them. So there is a little bit of trial and error in, um, in finding the, the right medicine, um, but then it's really the continuity of staying on the medication, and you, you realize the benefits when you've been on it consistently over long periods of time. So making that decision is really, is this a medication that fits with my lifestyle? Am I going to be able to tolerate it? Am I going to be able to use it in a consistent way? Um, I started using the analogy like high blood pressure. You know, it's not the moment-to-moment changes in your blood pressure that's important, but the long-term trend and medicine bring down your blood pressure over the long term, and that's what gives you the benefit. So MS therapies are, are kind of like that. The other component is really, I think, probably more important, and that's the psychological um, aspect of things. And there's lots of evidence that stress uh, certainly exacerbates symptoms of MS, and there's now some new data suggesting that doing stress reduction actually improves disease activity. So I regularly um, ask questions about things like exercise, aerobic exercise, and stretching, like yoga. These are things that really improve quality of life, improve sleep quality, help your mood, um, and keep you limber and functional. And that's as important as any other kind of intervention that we do. Um, And then trying to introduce something like meditation, mindfulness, or some other kind of stress-reducing component. And then the, the third thing that's really important is getting adequate rest. And I think all the things that we're talking about in MS patients certainly apply to all of us. Uh, we would all do better if we slept more. And I have been amazed at the improvement I see in patients' neurological status when they start to get adequate rest and when they start to say no to things because they're tired. It's, it's okay um, to get that extra to say no to an outing if you're not feeling up to it in the long term, that's going to, um, going to really be a benefit to you. So um, I think for women in particular who are caregivers, who have young children, there's a tendency for us to just forget about our own needs and focus on our, our kids or our family or our jobs. And we need to develop a mindset of uh, first take care of yourself because that's going to pay dividends um, in the long term. So those are the kind of things I would um, add to uh, what Marty was discussing. Yes, uh, we multitasking women want to do it all, be it all. And there's a lot of pressure in today's woman to to be that, and I and and I think that goes for all women, not just women with MS, but there, the risk factor involved in trying to be it all and do it all is much greater. Uh, I know I have to caution my daughter about that. She's. Um, She's an A-type personality, just like me. <laughs> so, 
An interesting fact um, that's sort of anecdotal is that I actually did research um, to find my son's MS specialist. You may know him, Nancy. It's Dr. Baumhefner. He's based, he's oh, based yeah. out of UCLA, and he's wonderful. And we really scored big uh, when we f- found him, and it was quite a hassle um, and uh, to get that appointment. But he has been um, my son's doctor for the entire course of his illness, pretty much. And he's, I, I think it's so important to have the right doctor who is an MS specialist underlined and really understands this disease and has a lot of experience. Um, it's made a huge difference. Um, we really trust him, right? And when you're dealing with life and death and all this craziness that can and makes your life so unpredictable, right? It's he's just a, he has been a real steadying hand, and I I have to thank him for that. Um, and I will also want to speak to the, the, that that I found him through the MS Society uh, search for a doctor. Just so you know, Marnie, and uh, so that's really uh, a gift, right? Another uh, service, by the way, that the MS Society for those in need, because. We've been very fortunate. After a few years, we got fully insured for all this care. But a lot of MS uh, patients, it's it's an expensive disease because it is for a lifetime. And um, sometimes caregivers or you need help, and there are for uh, families who have, um, you know, are in need, there are some services. So, Marnie, can you share about that? Because I think that's important. There's a lot of single moms out there with MS. Uh, I understand. So, can you share a couple things that the MS does, uh, MS Society does, to support people in need? Absolutely. So, in addition to funding research for better treatments and a cure for MS, and we're we're funding research to stop MS in its tracks, restore function that's been lost, and and end the disease forever. In addition to all of that, um, we also provide programs and services for people with MS, and most importantly, also for their family members, because um, MS is a disease that affects the entire family. Um, not just the person who was diagnosed. So some of the programs and services that I'm talking about are, like I said, information and referrals to resources in the community, Um, emotional support. We have uh, one-to-one peer counseling. We have self-help groups. We have um, professional counseling available. We offer um, financial assistance programs, um, and those are everything from, you know, helping with some of those little things like sports uniforms or school pictures that just might be that extra expense that are difficult to afford to helping with pay for a wheelchair or putting ramps to a house or, or things like that. So our, um, we have a number of direct financial assistance programs. We have educational wellness classes, so classes for people who are newly diagnosed. We have classes um, to help with balance. We have a free from falls program to help people um, who are having balance problems and make sure that they don't face additional injuries. Um, we we have a number of educational wellness classes like that, and we're also, again, able to refer people to additional classes in the community, like yoga classes with teachers who are trained um, to help people with MS. Uh, so all of these services, again, are just a phone call away, and it's 1-800-FIGHT-MS, which is 1-800-344-4867. And when you press 1, you'll be connected to your local chapter, um, and they can help you with, with the different resources and programs and classes and, and services that are available in your community no matter where you live. So I think it's really important um, if you're looking for some support for a family member who has MS, for yourself who is caring for someone with MS, um, the National MS Society is here to help. 
Awesome. Yeah, and back to new drugs. Um, this is a really uh, exciting time for MS patients as they, new uh, drugs come out on the market that have better and better uh, studies that show uh, better um, outcomes, at least in the it, from the studies. And one of those new drugs is actually, for the first time, in a pill form. And my son is, was one of the lucky ones to be able to get on that medication, which is Gylenia or uh, Fingolimod, and he's doing quite well on it, by the way. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, my daughter, who's been taking shots every week and suffering through the whole shot thing, um, although they're looking at uh, something different for her now, um, again, one of the things that I will say, and Nancy, you can back this up, is that to make some of these medications overall more affordable for those in need, you can actually go directly to the drug company, and many of them will help pay for your medication if you're underinsured or, or not insured. And Absolutely. so I think it's important. Yeah, I think it's important to understand that there, it's not hopeless, and there's a lot of resources. And um, Nancy, maybe you can share a little bit more about some other resources that you know of, um, and talk about some of the exciting developments in drug research. Yeah, well, thanks, Jody. Yeah, that's absolutely true that um, the medications, um, there are many that, well, we have 10 now that are approved, and there are more in the pipeline. And, you know, I think this tends to be the case with um, with research and with uh, biomedical research that um, things tend to accelerate uh, over time. And I think we've seen that uh, in the MS world, but we have, it seems, a new drug coming out every six months to a year now, um, harder to keep track of and uh, harder for the patient sometimes, but really um, is such a benefit because it gives us a variety of options that we can use. And um, certainly the, the holy grail for a long time was to get something that wasn't a shot. And now we actually have three oral medications that are on the market. Uh, the newest um, was just approved in the last month or so, um, Texadera um, by Biogen. And then there's a Baggio um, which is a Genzyme product. And um, so it really is um, very, uh, gives a lot of hope, I think, for patients that know that they that they have options. Um, and if one drug is not working, that, um, you know, for your daughter, for example, that, you know, if the shots aren't working, that there's all these other options um, that are out there. But one of the big barriers, of course, is the cost. And, and this is a, can be a contentious uh, subject because, it's a little bit political in the sense that, um, uh, you know, those drug companies um, set prices that um, some of us in the, who are practicing think may be, um, you know, quite high. On, on their end, they say they have R&D that they have to cover, and that's definitely um, the case. But it can really cause uh, problems for patients. But I do think they recognize that, and uh, there are patient assistance programs. So for those who have no insurance at all, all of the companies do support programs where they will provide free medication. So that's actually very, very helpful. And I have several patients who have utilized that, and the, and the companies are quite good at providing that. In terms of uh, because the, the medications are so costly, for folks who have uh, percentage copays. This, this can add up to several hundred to even $1,000 a month that people are um, on the hook for. And, again, the companies realize this, and, and they have programs to, uh, for assistance with copays. So they will um, provide, you know, $10 copays, for example. So I would encourage um, 
patients to be assertive, to uh, discuss with their physicians, but also directly with the drug companies, um, what you know, investigate what their um, benefits are and, and what they offer. Um, I also would like to say that with you know the Affordable Care Act coming into full implementation, this is really a benefit for people with chronic diseases such as MS who you know may frequently change jobs and change insurance. And so, thank goodness now we don't have to worry about pre-existing conditions uh, preventing people from getting um, appropriate insurance. And I think the final thing to say about the medications, you know, yes, they are expensive, but they're a lot less expensive than disease progression. They're a lot less expensive than being in a hospital for severe relapses. So they are cost-effective in, in the long term. And um, and so I think we very frequently are advocating for our patients through, and the MS Society provides lots of resources to help us with writing letters when the drugs are denied or tests are denied. And so it does require people to really have this um, advocacy and uh, for, the, for themselves and uh, for their loved ones. Um, but in terms of other, um, I know you'd ask me about um, new things on the horizon, I think, as I said, really exciting times with um, new drugs in the pipeline, including lots of what we call monoclonal antibodies. They're like very highly targeted therapies that um, specifically deplete certain cells within the body and, and seem to have uh, very good efficacy and, and safety. Um, there's trials now looking at remyelination that I was alluding to before, where it's not just stopping the disease, but actually repairing some of the damage that has taken place. And these are extremely exciting. And I, I just saw that there's um, the MS Society bulletin, actually, that they're doing a phase one trial of a, a possible remyelination uh, therapy uh, and monoclonal antibody. So that's very exciting. Um, and then, you know, for the long-term things like stem cell transplants and so forth, over at Cedars, we have a regenerative medicine center, and um, I've spoken with uh, Clyde Spencer, who's the director there, and, and he said that MS is on the is on the, uh, the second tier. You know, the first tier is sort of simple. The third tier is way too hard, but MS is kind of in the middle. It's hard, but not impossible. So um, these are things that we're looking, looking toward uh, in the future to eliminate um, the diagnosis, uh, but even after diagnosis, to be able to restore function. And, uh, and even bring people back from um, disabilities that they may have experienced so that they're able to function better. So there's a lot of hope, uh, Jody, and I would say uh, for your family and for anyone else listening that um, the future, certainly our therapies are going to change. What you're, doing, what you're taking now will not be what you're on in the future, and we'll be approaching the disease probably from many different angles as we uh, go into the, the years to come. So all is uh, hopeful. Awesome. You know, one thing I have learned as a caregiver, full-time caregiver, and with two children, I have the mother-bear complex. I'm sure as, as women you know what that is. And so um, I can tell you that being an advocate for your family member and for yourself and really going after it has made all the difference with my children's care. And yeah. and their out and their outcomes as difficult as my son's is it could have been much worse. He just got a uh, brand new power wheelchair. Uh, we need to get a low jack for it because he keeps escaping. And uh, you know, <laughs> and, and and resources that enabled that to happen, right? And uh, physical therapy and all types of things. And so 
one of the things that I would say to the listeners is don't just sit back and feel sorry for yourself. There's so much more that you can do. Last year, my son went snow skiing and skydiving. Life does not end with a MS diagnosis, and he is the most hopeful, positive person you have ever met. I don't know how he's doing it, but I admire him tremendously, and and my daughter doesn't really let it get her down too much either. I think that we're a family that fights. And so, you know, this is one of the reasons that I have launched this campaign to really inspire other families and people to to be hopeful and know that there are so many good things on the horizon and that um, life does not end with a MS diagnosis. And uh, uh, taking on the challenge and becoming knowledgeable and and really exploring every option does help and it does make quality of life much much better for for all all people. So thank you both so much for being my guest. Do you have any other final comments or tips um Nancy? Well, I would just echo what you said, Jody. I just want to thank you for inviting me and letting me participate. Um, and uh, it's very um, helpful, I think, just to have information available. But I think the message I would leave um, for folks is just as you said, you know, it takes a village and you're not alone. And I think that's one of the things um, that people, especially in the early days of diagnosis, they feel like they're the only one that um, has has gone through this, and, and there's no reason to do it on your own. There are people there to support you. The MS Society is there. They have wonderful resources, um, and that you should, should reach out, get involved, and uh, don't walk this road uh, by yourself. There are lots of people there to uh, to help you along the, the path. So thanks again, Jody, and I wish you all the best uh, with your family, and uh, just a, a shout-out to the caregiver. You should uh, take care of yourself, too. Make sure you're getting some time off and a uh, little rest and relaxation, too. Thank you. And Marnie? Um, I'm going to build off of both thoughts? of those things. <laughs> I'm <laughs> building off of, of Jody of what you're saying, saying positive, positive and, and Nancy, what you're saying about connecting with others. I just I think that's so important. Um, and whether you have MS or you care about someone with MS, there's so many different ways to get involved, to connect, and to give back. We have 600 walk events all across the country. We have 100 bike events. You can ride anywhere from 30 to over 150 miles. Um, we have people like you, Jody, who got involved by, by launching a donation campaign. And you can visit askpatty.com to click on the Moms Opposing MS logo and, and donate directly to the National MS Society so that we can further this research and we can continue to provide programs and services and information and resources. Um, so I, I do encourage, um, whether you have someone with MS, whether you're hearing about MS for the first time, um, if you yourself have MS, to, to get involved, to connect with others, to, to give back um, and really make a difference. And, and there's so many different ways to do that. And um, I hope that, that everyone takes the opportunity to learn a little bit more and, and get involved and, and make connections. And, and again, thank you, Jody. Thank you, Nancy, for um, having me join you today. Thank you both, ladies, for having uh, taking time out of your busy schedules. And I just want to punctuate it by saying what I heard is get education, become an advocate, and an activist. And, and by the way, it makes me feel better to be an activist because I'm doing something about it. There's so many things about MS you cannot control, but I can control my attitude and my actions, and I choose to fight and raise funds and develop 
those funds to build research and to provide better drugs and, and better treatments for MS. So join me. Donate to the MS Society. Please, oh, I invite you to join us at our Twitter party on World MS Day on the 29th of May, 2013, at three, uh, 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. We're going to hear a lot more from Nancy and Marnie. They can answer your questions. And we're going to be giving away some prizes and raise a bunch of funds and excitement around providing uh, money to finally find a cure for this devastating disease. Thank you again, ladies, and have a wonderful day. Thank Thanks, you. Jody. Thanks, Marnie. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Ask Patty, automotive advice for women. The Ask Patty Show is a Boomer in the Bay production.